0: I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Heartburn is one of the most common conditions that afflicts humans. Are there natural ways to treat indigestion? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon.
1: Proton pump inhibitors, also known as PPIs, were once widely prescribed. Now, drugs like Prilosec, Prevacid, and Nexium are available over the counter. What are the pros and cons of PPIs?
0: The heartburn diet is an article of faith. How good is the evidence supporting this approach to treating symptoms of indigestion?
1: What's the role of probiotics in digestive health? Dysbiosis, when the gut microbes get out of balance, can contribute to digestive distress.
0: Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, learn about natural ways to treat heartburn.
1: In The People's Pharmacy health headlines, many people assume that non-sugar sweeteners are safer than sugar or high-fructose corn syrup. A new study shows that one sugar substitute, erythritol, may actually encourage blood clots that can lead to heart attacks and strokes. This sweetener has become quite popular because it looks and tastes like sugar, but does not contribute calories. Scientists at the Cleveland Clinic analyzed blood samples in people at high risk for cardiovascular complications. They found that those with high levels of erythritol in their blood were more likely to suffer a heart attack or stroke or even to die in the next three years after the blood was drawn. This risk seems to be driven by the increased clotting tendency in blood exposed to erythritol. Just 30 grams of the sweetener was enough to make blood levels skyrocket. That's about as much as you might find in a pint of keto ice cream. Sugar substitutes are more likely to appear in foods marketed to people with diabetes, overweight, or other risk factors for cardiovascular diseases. In light of this, the researchers conclude studies assessing the long-term safety of erythritol are warranted.
0: Olive oil is an essential component of the Mediterranean diet. Researchers in Spain are investigating how olive oil affects cell membranes, intracellular signaling, and gene expression. Oleic acid, the dominant fat in olive oil, inhibits pro-inflammatory signals and promotes anti-inflammatory cytokines. A further look reveals that a metabolite of oleic acid, OEA, regulates energy homeostasis and dietary fat intake. Oleic acid may also influence microRNA in a variety of immune system cells, such as T-cells, neutrophils and macrophages
1: Taking vitamin D supplements may help ward off dementia. A 10-year study of more than 12,000 older adults found that those taking vitamin D were less likely to be diagnosed with dementia during that time frame. None had such a diagnosis at the start of the study. Those who took vitamin D, whether in combination with calcium as D2 or as D3, were 40% less likely to develop dementia. Women and people without mild cognitive impairment at the beginning of the study got the greatest benefit from vitamin D supplementation. The investigators concluded that the earlier people started taking the nutrient, the more likely they were to experience benefit against cognitive decline.
0: People with insomnia are put in a terrible double bind. On the one hand, they have trouble falling or staying asleep. That makes it hard to function normally during the day. On the other hand, they keep hearing about all the dire consequences of inadequate sleep. This frequently leads to anxiety about insomnia, which only makes the situation worse. Sadly, the news this week will only add to the distress. A meta-analysis of nine studies reviewed the data on more than one million patients. The authors report that people with insomnia are at higher risk of heart attacks— Those who slept less than five hours were at highest risk. However, people sleeping nine hours or longer were not protected. The sweet spot seems to be between six and eight hours of sleep a night.
1: Researchers wanted to better understand why people with sleep difficulties are more prone to cardiovascular problems. They turned to subjects participating in a large ongoing cohort study called the Multi-Ethnic Study of Atherosclerosis, More than 2,000 of these older individuals wore a device for a week that measured when they went to bed and how long they slept. They also kept sleep diaries and had one night during the week of intensive in-home sleep monitoring. Researchers compared these data on sleep to the individual's coronary artery calcium scores. Those who had highly variable bedtimes or sleep duration were more likely to have a high CAC score indicating atherosclerosis. The authors conclude, our findings suggest that irregular sleep patterns may play a role in the pathophysiologic development of cardiovascular disease. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon.
0: And I'm Joe Graydon. Have you ever experienced heartburn? Almost everyone has at one time or another. How did you treat it?
1: Many people who experience frequent bouts of indigestion end up relying on proton pump inhibitors. Drugs like Nexium, Prilosec, and Prevacid have become hugely popular. But are there natural ways to treat heartburn?
0: To find out, we're talking today with an old friend of the People's Pharmacy. Dr. Tarone Lodog is a founding member of the American Board of Physician Specialties, American Board of Integrative Medicine, and the Academy of Women's Health. She was elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopeia Dietary Supplements Botanicals Expert Committee and was appointed to the Scientific Advisory Council for the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Her books include Women's Health in. complementary and integrative medicine life is your best medicine and fortify your life your guide to vitamins minerals and more dr lodog's latest ebook is healing heartburn naturally
1: welcome back to the people's pharmacy dr tyrone lodog
2: thank you for having me Uh, It's so nice to be with you again
0: Dr. Lodog, I am so happy that you have written this book because there is so much confusion when it comes to and and just listen to the names: heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, GERD, reflux, stomach ache, acid stomach, the doctor's term, dyspepsia. What the heck are we talking about?
2: Yeah. Well, you know. Digestive problems are so common. I mean, they're just so common. We see them all the time in the clinic. People come in with various kinds of complaints and and heartburn and reflux and GERD are are really are really growing. They're, I mean, it's become a real problem. And part of this, I think, is diet. We also are our waists are getting bigger. So there's, you know, there's a strong correlation between our body weight and also reflux types of symptoms. And, and then because we have this really effective treatment with proton pump inhibitors, they've become one of the highest selling and most prescribed medications in the United States and also growing around the world. The problem is when you have a really effective medication, because it shuts down all the stomach acid for, for, you know, up to 20 hours a day or longer, that if it has side effects, that's a problem. And what we are finding is that these proton pump inhibitors that are so widely used and so so widespread, both over the counter and by prescription, is that we are now starting to see all kinds of problems with people trying to get off of them and all of the side effects that they can cause. And this is really a shame because we have so many other ways to manage all of the long list of things you just talked about. Upset stomach, heartburn, reflux, indigestion, gas, bloating, uh, you know, constipation, diarrhea, irritable bowel syndrome, all of these digestive problems that people are living with, we actually have very good natural remedies for. And we should be saving these really powerful and effective drugs for those who really do need them.
1: I'm wondering if you can tell us specifically about the symptoms of heartburn, because it seems that that may be one of the more common complaints that people have.
2: Well, yes. And so, you know, and and people most of the time, they know when they're having, you know, this reflux, there's this burning feeling that you get behind your, your breastbone, right? Which is why we call it heartburn. And sometimes that can come back up into your throat the, all of the good things that you've got in your stomach that are supposed to stay in your stomach, start moving upwards. And you may get that in your throat or your mouth, that regurgitation that people talk about. There may be some pain in the center of your, uh, the upper stomach area, right? So you may actually have something that is kind of nagging and, and hurtful. Some people feel nauseated from it. They feel like they have some uh, a sense of nausea from the reflux that they get. And Sometimes people complain that they have a hard time sleeping because of the heartburn or regurgitation that they lay down at night and they have this reflux coming back up into their, up into their throat. And these are the questions that we ask people. How often is this happening to you and how severe are your symptoms? And that's how we are able to clinically give the diagnosis of heartburn or or GERD.
0: Now, Dr. Lodog, I really dislike the term heartburn because it implies there's something going on with your heart. And it's really going on in your digestive tract, basically uh, in your esophagus. But there is a real complication, and that is sometimes people have a heart attack and it manifests as Heartburn, or at least that's what they think it is. And then they delay going to the emergency department. So how do we distinguish between a heart attack and heartburn?
2: Well, right. And I would say that, you know, sometimes this is a big problem also for women who may um, not be experiencing that crushing, you know, Hollywood kind of hand to the chest, uh, you know, typical heart attack. Uh, that we see in the movies and that. oftentimes many women will feel some nausea and a little bit of heartburn, and those are their predominant symptoms. The heart attack itself, the when people feel this kind of pain, it, it, it is intense, it is sharp and and it feels stabbing in the chest or it feels like there's a tremendous weight on the chest that you know people feel like there's something sitting on their on their chest. You often will feel some radiation of pain down the arm or up into the jaw uh, area as well. And you know, heartburn. You're absolutely right. The reason it got that name, heartburn, is because it is it's in the esophagus, which lies behind the breastbone in the heart area. But it is, um, you know, a heart attack. The reason sometimes women are cared for. Not, they don't get as aggressive treatment as uh, men do, is that sometimes they do, per, they do present more with these more subtle kind of reflux, nausea, um, fatigue kind of symptoms, uh, where oftentimes men, non-diabetic men, have this sort of crushing chest pain, um, which, which they, uh, most men do know they are having a heart attack.
1: Now, as long as we're talking about heartburn, what can you tell us about the causes
2: Well, you know, it's interesting that you have this, um, you have this little sphincter at the bottom of your esophagus. So this, this little place that kind of closes down between where the esophagus joins the stomach. And that sphincter has to be working correctly so that it tighten, it it loosens to allow food and water to come down through into the stomach, but then tightens back up so that none of the contents of the stomach are allowed to come back up. And Anything that does something to that lower esophageal sphincter is going to is going to contribute to this problem, and there are a lot of things that diminish the function of that. Um, diet can do it. Obesity uh, is a big problem uh, because of the of the pressure that it puts on this sphincter. It is seldom. Let me just say, it is seldom the problem uh, that you are making too much stomach acid. That's, I think, a misperception that many people have is that the reason I'm having this heartburn is because I'm making way too much stomach uh, stomach acid. And you can see why, because the treatment that we use is to shut off stomach acid. But what I'm here to tell you is that many people who have reflux, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, actually do not make excessive amounts of stomach. There's one condition where this is more common, but it's quite rare. And that's something called Zolliger-Ellison syndrome. And that's when an individual does make copious amounts of stomach acid. And in those cases, um, long-term high-dose proton pump inhibitor use is highly indicated. But that is not the problem for the vast majority of people. For many people, actually, they may not be making enough stomach acid. Really? Yes.
1: So what do you do for that?
2: Well... You know, this is this is where some of these old remedies may have had some some uh, impact, like using vinegar. Um, When I first moved to Las Cruces, New Mexico, oh gosh, you know, more than forty years ago, I would have uh, I had a little health food shop down there, a little herb store, and I would have people coming in for this um, very raw type of apple cider vinegar with the mother in it. You know, it's very cloudy apple cider vinegar, and I would ask them why they would always be coming in there buying it because. Seemed like they must be eating a lot of salad if they were just using it, you know, on their food. And they would tell me that they would drink it for their stomach. And I would ask them for your stomach, you know, why, why for your stomach? And they said, oh, because I'm, you know, I'm 60 years old and I don't have enough, I don't have enough juice in my stomach. So I use the vinegar when I eat my meals because it makes my stomach feel better. And isn't it interesting because the pH of vinegar is low, and so if you're not making very much stomach acid, that little extra acidity of the vinegar probably was helping them with their digestion. Sometimes individuals do well by taking digestive enzymes or eating, you know, eating more fruits um, that, that also may be helpful. Some of the key protein digesting enzymes, which is what you really, really need if you're not making enough stomach acid, that stomach acid does a big job with breaking down protein. That's where the majority of protein is broken down is in the stomach by stomach acid. If you're not making very much stomach acid, um, it can be harder to digest your protein. And so things like bromelain from uh, from pineapple or papain from papaya or compounds that are in kiwi fruit actually All of these can be very helpful for individuals who are feeling a little bit of reflux and are feeling some gas and bloating maybe with dinner. These kinds of digestive enzymes can be helpful. But make no mistake, as we age, as we get older, we make less stomach acid. That's why the Institute of Medicine and the Food and Nutrition Board recommend people get their B12 from supplements or fortified foods. Because what you have to have to be able to separate the B12 from the the protein in your chicken or your beef, whatever your animal product that you're consuming with B12, you have to have stomach acid. So it's been long known if you don't have enough stomach acid, it's going to be hard to get B12 from protein, uh, animal protein in your diet. We want you to get it from a supplement or from a fortified food.
1: You're listening to Dr. Tironi Lodog. She's a founding member of the American Board of Integrative Medicine and the Academy of Women's Health. Her latest ebook is Healing Heartburn Naturally. It's available online at
0: MedicineLodgeranch.com. After the break, learn what part of your digestive anatomy is really responsible for heartburn. What medications cause reflux trouble? There are lots of foods that people with heartburn are supposed to avoid. Just how good is the research supporting these prohibitions?
1: You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon.
0: This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, Cocoa Pro Cocoa Extract.
1: March is National Nutrition Month. Have you heard the recent prominent news around the benefits of flavanols? The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics issued a first-of-its-kind recommendation on flavanols, a daily intake of 400 to 600 milligrams of flavanols from a variety of foods and drinks, such as tea, apples, berries, and cocoa, to support heart health. You can achieve the guideline through diet, but consider how a cocoa flavanol supplement like Cocovia can help fill the gaps during your busiest days.
0: Get 15% off your Cocovia order from March 13th through April 1st using the discount code NNM15POD at Cocovia.com. That discount code again, NNM15POD at Cocovia.com.
1: These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
0: Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Via the maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com.
1: Today, our topic is how to treat heartburn naturally. What are the causes of heartburn? Is too much acid the problem? Did Mother Nature make a big mistake by supplying vertebrates with strong stomach acid?
0: Does diet have anything to do with it? People with frequent heartburn are often told to avoid a long list of foods, from coffee and tomatoes to martinis and chocolate. Spicy foods are also forbidden. How good are the data to support these dietary restrictions?
1: We're talking with Dr. Tironi Lodog. She's a founding member of the American Board of Physician Specialties, American Board of Integrative Medicine, and the Academy of Women's Health. She was elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopeia Dietary Supplements Botanicals Expert Committee and was appointed to the Scientific Advisory Council for the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Her books include Women's Health in Complementary and Integrative Medicine, Life is Your Best Medicine, and Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. Dr. Lodog's latest ebook is Healing Heartburn Naturally, available online at MedicineLodgeRanch.com.
0: Dr. Lodog, you mentioned that little sphincter at the bottom of the esophagus that connects up to the stomach and it's called the LES the lower esophageal sphincter and i've i've dubbed it the lazy LES because when it relaxes and allows for reflux it's a problem you know there are some medications that can actually make the LES, the lower esophageal sphincter, lazy. And that includes a sleeping pill called Ambien. I can't tell you how many people have contacted us and said, boy, I have terrible heartburn when I use Ambien to get to sleep at night. And of course, heartburn is often worse at night. And so it sort of is a double whammy. What are your thoughts about medications that may make the lower esophageal sphincter less? strong.
2: There are actually many, many medications that can do that. I mean, there's many medications that alter the function or, and the motility of the of the GI tract, right? Because it's also the longer you have food sitting in your stomach, the longer it sits there, the more likely you're going to have <laughs> reflux, right? So it's not just the LES, it's also motility. And I tell I tell all patients because I don't I don't have the complete list. I tell all patients if you're struggling with heartburn, I want you to make sure that you talk to your local pharmacist and you ask them. You tell them what are what are the drugs that you're taking and any, you know, OTC products that you may be using because some of these, you know, are OTC products and ask them if any of these are associated with heartburn or GERD, if they could be contributing to your reflux that you're having. I find pharmacists are really excellent at being able to help patients sort through that much more than their primary care provider, who usually doesn't have, you know, at their fingertips access to a list of medications that can do this. I also would say that Ambien for Sleep that there is a, there is a natural supplement which I use extensively for heartburn, which has uh, several studies behind it confirming its efficacy, and that's melatonin. Melatonin, one of its jobs actually is to tighten the lower esophageal sphincter. Now, this is probably a biological effect as well. I mean, you know, humans we eat and then we lay down. And in laying down, it can increase the risk of reflux. So melatonin, which surges at nighttime, part of its job, both in the GI tract and from the pineal gland, because you make melatonin more than just in your pineal gland, is to actually tighten that lower esophageal sphincter and also to increase mucin production, which coats the stomach and also protects the esophagus from damage. So you know, if somebody was having problems with Ambien, I would say, why don't we try to transition you over to something that may be able to help you sleep, but will definitely be able to help your reflux.
1: Now, Tironi, one of the types of advice that people frequently get if they say to their primary care provider, I'm having trouble with heartburn, I'm having it frequently, the uh, The physician or a physician assistant or nurse practitioner may very well say to them, well, there are foods you should just stay away from. You shouldn't have anything with tomatoes in it. You should stay away from coffee. Joe did a search some years ago, almost 20 years ago, to see what he could find in the medical literature supporting those lists of foods that cause heartburn, and there's very little.
0: Well, one of the things that I stumbled across was you're supposed to avoid spicy food, right? Well, there's actually some studies that suggest that spicy food, hot peppers, might actually be beneficial for preventing heartburn, which is completely counter to everything everybody's been told. So uh, it seems like everybody's different. And maybe some people can handle coffee and other people can't. Some people can handle spicy food and other people can't. How do you recommend that people find out what their triggers are, what problem foods there are causing their reflux?
2: Well, you know, I do tell them to be sensitive to to certain foods and beverages that they may be, you know, maybe sensitive to, but I will also say that the the dietary recommendations that I make are a very low carbohydrate diet. I mean, we did low fat, low fat, low fat diets for heartburn forever. It's still recommended in the literature even though there's not a lot of data to support it. On the contrary, studies that have been done now in, in people with even moderate to severe heartburn, including those that are not only on prescription but on uh, PPIs but also breakthrough medication, that when you put them on a higher-fat protein diet but a low-carbohydrate diet, they can actually go off of their medications. So, you know, sugar is a problem. Refined grains are a problem. Carbohydrates can be a problem. And If you were going to look at a dietary pattern, which is the way you want to go for at least 8 to 12 weeks to see if it's going to help your heartburn, it would be to go on a low glycemic load or low carbohydrate diet. So important. And, you know, um, when you look at the data, you looked at it 20 years ago, Joe, but I looked at it just recently for, you know, acidic foods and, you know, citrus and coffee and all of these. And there just really isn't any data to support that those foods are major triggers for anybody. On the contrary, the major problem seems to be diets that are very high in carbohydrates, especially refined carbohydrates.
1: So if pizza's a problem, it might not be the tomatoes, it might be the pizza
2: crust. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. And, you know, there were studies that were done actually looking at a Mediterranean diet that added acidic foods like lemons and, and tomatoes, um, you know, tomatoes without the seeds in that. And they actually found that the Mediterranean diet, as long as it was low glycemic load, or very low glycemic load, even with those acidic foods, the heartburn resolved. So it, it's the problem is really um, not so much those foods, but often what they're accompanied by. So a low glycemic load diet, there's a lot of great books. Um, in, my, in my book, I actually have a lot of resources and references for things that can help you. But most people can safely do a low carbohydrate diet for eight to 12 weeks. And that's really the time that we say, You know, let's give yourself two to three months to either get your reflux under control, or if you're going to go off your proton pump inhibitor, you need to have two to three months to be able to safely do it.
1: In your book, Healing Heartburn Naturally, you mention that the Mediterranean diet is really quite good for people who have a tendency to have heartburn. There's just one aspect of a traditional Mediterranean diet that might not be quite so good, and that is in many places like Spain and Italy, people eat late at night. So that is perhaps not quite as helpful. Can you tell us a little bit about when we should stop eating so we don't have heartburn at night?
2: (laughs) That is such a great point. You really, the recommendations that are pretty strong and I agree with are that you want to stop eating three hours before you lay down to go to sleep, right? So you want to be in an upright position for those three hours after eating um, before you lay down in bed. And when you do lay down in bed, position does matter. Sleeping on your back or sleeping on your right side or stomach you makes you much more prone to reflux. So remember this no no food within three hours of laying down at night, and sleep on your left side, both of these techniques will dramatically improve the amount of uh, episodes of reflux that you have in the evening or at nighttime when you're trying to go to bed.
1: Now, one other question, which is about mindful eating. You've described the benefits in your book. Can you describe them for us today?
2: Absolutely. You know, hormones and stress hormones and many of these kinds of um, of of nerves and hormones in our body that are at play, especially when we're under stress, actually decrease the function of that lower esophageal sphincter and they also affect acid and mucin production, the especially the protective mucin that's prote- made in your stomach uh in a very negative way. So mindful eating is really just about, you know, turning off the television, don't listen to the news, sit down at the table and eat your meal quietly and slowly. You know, my mother used to say, chew your food 20 times, you know, all those old things that our moms used to tell us. And actually the truth is eating more slowly, eating more mindfully, eating under less stress. So in a peaceful environment. It will go a long way to helping you with your digestion, no matter what you struggle with, not just reflux, but also helping with gas and bloating and indigestion after your meal. A lot of us swallow a lot of air when we eat really fast, and a lot of us don't eat mindfully because we're just mindlessly watching television as we chew our food. So mindfulness eating is so important, and uh, it's something that you actually want to practice not just for yourself, but also to teach your children. The evening meal should be one that's peaceful and and calm. It's not the time for getting into you know stressful things and stressful conversations. Make the dinner a peaceful one for everybody's digestive health.
0: so no more bowls of ice cream at ten o'clock watching uh television or eating popcorn or snacking on pizza. <laughs> <laughs> no more. <laughs> okay. And what about a walk after dinner?
2: Yeah. It's one thing that I, I strongly recommend and encourage. And that also is a Mediterranean um, habit when we were in Italy and Spain going for that evening walk. Um, it ha- really does help with digestion and gets you moving. And, you know, the digestive tract is really a muscular tract. And so, you know, exercising it, working it and, and, and doing all of the things that we can do to help it includes something like an evening walk. And it doesn't have to be a fast walk. You're not out racing. But just go for a nice stroll in the evening. 30, 45 minutes will help you with digesting your food and also diminish or reduce your risk of having nighttime heartburn. So another big one that I believe in.
0: Dr. Lodog, it seems like we have focused on acid throughout history for treating heartburn, whether it's You know, antacids like calcium carbonate, Tums for the tummy, aluminum hydroxide, magnesium hydroxide, uh, sodium bicarbonate, baking soda. And then along came acid suppressors like pepcid, famotidine, and tagamet, cimetidine. Uh, Before we even get to the PPIs, uh, what's what's the story on, you know, things like Alka-Seltzer and Tums? Uh, Is there a place for them?
2: Well, there is. If you're only having problems occasionally, if these are just, you know, it's the holidays and occasionally you overindulge and you keep some tums by the bedside, um, I don't really see a problem with this if they're used on occasion. The only one I would say if somebody was going to use an antacid and you, you know, kind of, you had to pick between all the ones that you just mentioned, magnesium, while it can cause some diarrhea in individuals, it's the fact that so many people get you know are 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 low in magnesium that would probably be the one i'd recommend but you know just make sure calcium based antacids they interfere with the absorption of iron you know you have to you have to take them 4 hours apart from most of your other medications and so you know they they do have some drawbacks but i would just say that for the most part um if they're only being used on occasion i don't really have a problem with them if you
1: are needing something that's more than occasional Is there a danger in suppressing stomach acid uh, more continuously?
2: Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the big problems, right? Um, And the list and the number uh, of of side effects that you get or adverse effects that you can have from long-term acid suppression is growing by the day. Let me just be really honest. The reason that you have stomach acid is to um, to digest proteins and to also kill any kind of pathogens that may be coming from the food that you eat that you're exposed to. We know that people that are on these medications who try to go off often get rebound hypersecretion. So They'll go off, you know, they've been taking their PPI for a while, and even maybe an H2 blocker if they're using them multiple times a day. And when they try to go off, they get this, you know, pretty significant rebound hypersecretion of acid. And, And that can make it hard to go cold turkey. But just think about some of the other problems that we see. I mentioned one earlier about B12. That long term use of these acid suppressant therapies like PPIs over the years can actually um, impair your ability to absorb B12. Magnesium deficiency becomes very problematic. My father almost died from low magnesium due to, uh, four years of use of proton pump inhibitors in his late seventies. Um, that has an FDA black box warning because of the low magnesium that can occur. We know that when you suppress stomach acid long term, that we begin to see increase in GI infections and, you know, th- infections that cause diarrhea. It can increase your risk for C. difficile. And, you know, we even think that it, increase the risk for COVID um, because of the all of the ACE2 receptors that are in the GI tract. I mean, it just, the list goes on and on. I don't know if you've heard, but, you know, the data that's looking at food allergies and people that um, are started on a proton pump inhibitor within three months of use, if they've had allergies, food allergies, they become worse. And in a significant, you know, like 10% of people, they develop brand new food allergies that they never had before. I mean, so there's the risk of pneumonia. There's the risk of fractures uh, because of calcium uh, absorption. Just It just goes on. Now we're looking at cognitive impairment, you know, that there may be a problem with cognitive impairment um, with people who've been on long-term PPIs. You need stomach acid and shutting it down long-term for years, in people who do not have a medical reason to do so, is dangerous and irresponsible.
1: You're listening to Dr. Taroni Lodog, a founding member of the American Board of Physician Specialties, American Board of Integrative Medicine, and the Academy of Women's Health. Her books include Life is Your Best Medicine and Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. Her latest ebook is Healing Heartburn Naturally, available online at medicinelodgeranch.com.
0: After the break, find out how proton pump inhibitors can affect the kidneys.
1: If you've been taking a PPI for a long time, it can be quite difficult to stop. Many people report terrible digestive distress.
0: Dr. Lodog has some suggestions for getting off a PPI naturally. Find out what they are.
1: Can probiotics play a role in fighting heartburn? How do they affect gut health?
0: Learn about natural ways to treat heartburn. Dr. Lodog offers her recommendations for maintaining our best digestive health.
1: You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon.
0: This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A-Herbs.com.
1: Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon.
0: And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Coco Via, the maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com.
1: How do you maintain good digestive health? Probiotics can be helpful, but how do you use them wisely?
0: A lot of people are taking PPIs for their heartburn. They can be helpful in the short run, but how do you stop?
1: Our expert guest today is Dr. Tyrone Lodog. She's a founding member of the American Board of Physician Specialties, American Board of Integrative Medicine, and the Academy of Women's Health. Her books include Life is Your Best Medicine and Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. Dr. Lodog's latest ebook is Healing Heartburn Naturally, available online at MedicineLodgeRanch.com. We were just talking about the possible downsides of relying on a proton pump inhibitor.
0: Well, the side effect that kind of surprised me that seems now to be pretty well established, uh, kidney stones and kidney damage, which, which does not sound like a good thing.
2: Yes, no. The, the I mean, we've seen now there was a an editorial actually that was in the journal of the American Society of Nephrology. So this was from the editors of that that basically just said that you know the message for physicians and patients that PPI use should be discouraged when a clear cut indication does not exist. Right, and and the reason for this, and they said if you have to have a PPI, if you need it because you really you know, have a problem with excess acid or you have Barrett's esophagus or you have a problem that requires long-term use, that your primary care provider should be regularly evaluating your serum creatinine or doing a urinalysis to make sure that you're not having kidney damage. Now I just want you to think about that. And and then the American College of, you know, gastroenterology, they say that none of this is necessary. You don't have to check B12 or magnesium and you don't need to check kidney function. You know, somewhere you can imagine uh, the patient saying, "I think the GI docs and the kidney docs ought to have a conversation because the kidney doctors are saying we're seeing a pretty dramatic rise in acute um kidney damage from the use of these drugs."
1: Dr. Lodog, it is very difficult for some people to get off a PPI if they have been on it for an extended period of time. You do offer a formula for getting off a PPI naturally, and I know our listeners will be interested in how to do that. What advice do you have?
2: Well, I would say that, you know, if you've been on these for a while, you know, make sure that make sure that you don't have a, a serious reason to be on them right before you go off. But most of the time it takes somewhere between eight and 12 weeks to wean yourself off so that you don't get that rebound hypersecretion. And so I go through in the book about the things that you need to avoid and the dietary changes. Um, we use melatonin uh, because melatonin actually works quite well with proton pump inhibitors. As you're weaning off the PPI, the melatonin really does help a lot. I use digestive enzymes for individuals as well as uh, botanicals. And there there are so many things that we can do to get people off proton pump inhibitors safely and effectively it just takes a little bit of time and and you know because i've had over the last you know 20 years so many people asking me about how to get off of these and i've i've you know instructed physicians we've worked with patients over the years there really is a very methodical way that you can go off. And I'm just telling you, since the release of the book, we've had many people who've said, gosh, this is the first time I've been able to go off my medication and not have reflux. And I've been on them for like 10 years. So it is possible, but you have to go slow. And you, and if you get to a point where you're starting to get some breakthrough acidity, you need to go back one step and stay there a couple of weeks until you try it again. But it's a slow process. The longer you've been on them, usually the longer it's going to take. It may take 12 weeks to get you off.
0: Dr. Lowdog, Europeans have been very big on probiotics for decades. And I think Americans are now kind of catching up. We're we're sort of interested, but we're confused because it seems like there are so many different kinds of bacteria and which ones are the good ones and which ones are not. And how do we choose? What role do probiotics play when it comes to gut health, the microbiome and heartburn?
2: Yeah. So you are very likely to get... Um, Dysbiosis over time for when you're trying to treat heartburn, right? So, so many people go on medications that suppress um, their stomach acid. And this is what leads to the increased risk of some GI infections that can cause diarrhea. I find it fascinating that there was a study done in children who had reflux that needed to take a PPI and they were administered a probiotic at the same time. So, the children were randomized to get their proton pump inhibitor with placebo or without. In the group that got the probiotics in addition to the PPI, it reduced the dysbiosis to only 6.2% versus more than half of the kids who got the placebo with the PPI got dysbiosis. So I want you to think about it. 95 Redu- 95- 94% of the kids who got the probiotic while they took the PPI didn't have any problem with dysbiosis. That is dramatic. And we've seen a similar effect in adults when we've given them a proton pump inhibitor and then we they gave them a PPI and gave them a probiotic or placebo. So I'm a huge one for ensuring that people are getting probiotics um, while they take their acid medications. And I'm a strong believer in recommending them when people have heartburn and aren't taking medication to make sure that we've got that gut microbiota in the right shape. One tool that your listeners could go to is called usprobioticguide.com. This is an independent website that actually does a wonderful job of going through and ranking the evidence for different uh, strains of the probiotics and what they were used for. So like functional dyspepsia or irritable bowel syndrome or heartburn. All of these are ranked and listed, and they give brand names so that an individual can look it up and find the brand name and how much to take. It takes away a lot of the confusion, I think, for individuals when they're trying to look for the correct probiotic. But make no mistake, there's a lot that we do that disrupts our gut microbiome, and probiotics, prebiotics are essential for helping to keep that in order. And I'll tell you, a lot of the botanicals that we use for like heartburn and GI, things like, you know, artichoke leaf and aloe vera and others, actually act as prebiotics, stimulating the growth of healthy microbes in the gut. So, this may be some of the reasons that these botanicals had widespread benefit, not just easing the heartburn, but also improving digestive health in general.
1: Now, one of the one of the situations where people can experience disruption of their microbiota is if they take antibiotics. Do probiotics help with that?
2: Absolutely. There should never be a prescription for an antibiotic that does not also give a prescription for a probiotic. There was a very strong review that was done that looked at uh, the benefit of probiotics to prevent antibiotic associated diarrhea, including C. difficile. And the data was so compelling. This is a message everyone should know about. Um, They should know that if they need to take an antibiotic, they should take the probiotic while they're on the antibiotic and generally for four to six weeks after.
0: So, Dr. Lodog, our listeners are curious, if they have heartburn, if they have reflux, if they have what doctors call dyspepsia, what are some natural approaches that you recommend that might help them avoid either PPIs or H2 antagonists or even some of the over-the-counter Products that they're familiar with, like Tums and and Rolades and and all the rest of them. What what do you have in the natural pharmacy?
2: Well, there's a number of them um, with clinical research behind them. Uh, something just like aloe vera gel, you know, that that has had the laxative part of the aloe vera uh, removed, right? So you're just getting the pure gel. Aloe vera is incredibly soothing to the GI tract, and when consumed several times a day, um, that can really help uh, an individual not have to take a, a proton pump inhibitor. Licorice root has long been used for heartburn, and as a matter of fact, licorice was used before we had H2 blockers. It was the drug of choice, actually. One of the problems with using licorice long-term though, is that it contains a compound that can make your blood pressure go up and also make you lose potassium. So they've removed that compound and you can get a product called DGL now. So it's had the glycyrrhizin uh, removed from it and and you can take the DGL and chew it before meals, the main meals of the day. And it is highly effective. Um, this is one that at the Integrative Medicine uh, Center at the University of Arizona when I was there, this was one that uh, many, many of the physicians were using with very good effect. Melatonin, as I mentioned earlier, is a standby for me. I mean, this one that I'm always using because at eight weeks, at eight weeks, melatonin alone is as effective as a proton pump inhibitor by endoscopy, meaning that we're looking down inside to see what the acid is and, and if reflux is occurring. And melatonin at eight weeks, there's no difference between it and a proton pump inhibitor. Uh, and it's very, very safe for people to use. So I, I like that. And then there's one that I don't know if you've heard much about, but I really love. It's called AMLA. Indian gooseberry. I fell in love with this years ago. It's a common. It's an ingredient that's found in um, triphala or triphala, which is a, you know, digestive remedy out of India. And AMLA has a a long, long, long history of being used to strengthen the digestive um, system, reduce hyperacidity, and also to regulate the bowels for people that maybe don't have regular bowel movements. There was a a clinical trial that actually looked at people who had um, GERD. Taking uh, this amla after meals or a placebo, and they found that in the group that was taking the Indian gooseberry, the amla, they had a significant reduction in regurgitation as well as in heartburn frequency and severity. So I love this, and one of the ways that it works is it also it, it increases gastric motility, making sure that food's not sitting in your stomach, but it also helps tighten that lower esophageal sphincter. So here you have a fruit. You know, it's made into jam, people eat it, these Indian gooseberries, something so safe that can be so effective. So I I, I there's a whole number of them. You know, I, I have to just tell you one quick one. Marshmallow, I grow in my garden, marshmallow, and I use the leaf and the root. You're talking about a plant rather than a yes, candy, right? Yes, talking about the plant. Um, which originally was used to make marshmallows, but marshmallows are just made out of, you know, candy pretty much today, but uh, out of sugar and that. But the marshmallow plant itself, I had an emergency room doc here that was taking a class out at my ranch and he was having heartburn. Uh, he told me he'd been up all night the night before and I gave him some marshmallow. I had some marshmallow syrup that I'd made and I gave him a bottle and told him just to take it with him. And he wrote to me a few weeks later and just said, I, I can't believe, I mean, could this be real? It's like, I use this and my heartburn's just gone like so quickly. Can I take this regularly? How do I make it? I said, you can just drink marshmallow tea. You can just make it and drink it like a tea. He was just staggered. And I have to tell you, marshmallow is one of those, it's called a demulcent herb, an herb that soothes and protects the tissue it comes in contact with. I particularly like marshmallow for people who get some of the laryngeal esophageal GERD, meaning it's coming way back up into the throat. Licorice, or, or marshmallow, excuse me, very, very soothing to the tissue and highly protective to the esophageal mucosa. So I just love marshmallow. I could go on, but these are some of my favorites that we use all the time. Uh, ginger's another one, uh, artichoke leaf. Uh, I, I love all of these. And depending upon if somebody's having gas and bloating, or if it's just strictly um, reflux, I sort of tailor those herbs based on their symptoms.
1: No question, we could talk to you for at least another hour, but we're just about out of time. So, Dr. Lodog, what recommendations do you have for all of us to maintain our best
2: digestive health? Uh, push away from the table before you're completely full. Uh, it's It's not good to overeat. Do try to follow a lower-carbohydrate diet and make sure the carbohydrates that you do get are as close to the source as possible. So fruits and vegetables, seeds and nuts, right? And don't overdo on those. Make sure that you maintain a healthy weight as much as you can, uh, because we know that obesity and overweight can can worsen um, reflux. And as much as possible, try to eat in a calm environment and calm setting, Herbal teas can be so beneficial for you. There are so many in the marketplace that can be used for, you know, indigestion, for gas and bloating, and also for reflux. But Hippocrates said more than 2000 years ago that all disease begins in the gut. And what we know today is that a healthy digestive system and a healthy gut microbiota are essential for our long-term well-being. Be careful about taking medications too long if there's not a clear indication, and do not be afraid to take medication like a proton pump inhibitor if you have a serious condition that requires it. However, if you must take that PPI long-term, make sure you look in the back of the book for the things that you should be doing to prevent yourself from having, you know, micronutrient deficiencies or dysbiosis. So I want to thank you both for letting me come today and talk about this topic because I feel that it's such an important one and that so many people are struggling with it unnecessarily.
1: Well, we want to thank you very much, Dr. Tironi Lodog, for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today.
2: Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Dr. Tarone Lodog. She's a founding member of the American Board of Physician Specialties, American Board of Integrative Medicine, and the Academy of Women's Health. She was elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopeia Dietary Supplements Botanicals Expert Committee and was appointed to the Scientific Advisory Council for the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Her books include Women's Health in Complementary and Integrative Medicine, Life is Your Best Medicine, and fortify your life, your guide to vitamins, minerals, and more. Dr. Lodog's latest ebook is Healing Heartburn Naturally. It's available at medicinelodgeranch.com. There's a link on our website.
1: You can share your thoughts about today's show in the comments section for the show notes. It's show number 1292 at peoplespharmacy.com.
0: Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wadarsky engineered. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. B.J. Lederman composed our theme music.
1: This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with the People's Pharmacy.
0: The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, the maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com.
1: Today's show is number 1,292. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. You could subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website on Monday morning. This week's show has some additional information about when to take probiotics and about Barrett's esophagus, a precancerous condition.
0: At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter to get the latest news about COVID-19 and other important health stories. By subscribing to our newsletter, you'll also have regular access to our weekly podcast and find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon.
1: And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time
0: and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in.